something we have promised for the summer of 2011. You promised. I never make promises. Ah, uh, yes. So I'm the one who gets all the blame if the promises get broken. I see. I see no, the... No, no, no. I see the... No, no, no. <laughs> no, but we did make reference in the past when we've been doing yeah. other episodes to the Planet of the mm-hmm. especially with the new one that's coming out. Action Apes. Yeah, the rise of the Planet of the Apes, I believe that's what yes. it's called. What other franchises they left to be dug up? Logan's Run. Logan's Run. But Logan's Run was only one movie in a TV that's show. True. Westworld. Yeah, yeah, Westworld. Westworld could be rebooted. I'm surprised we haven't seen Soiling Green rebooted. Mm. Well, that was one movie. Part of what you like to refer to as the great triptych of 70s science fiction. Yeah, all which starred the man who stars in this. this one of them, right. Planet of the Apes, yeah. Yes, and we covered the other one, the Omega Man, in a yeah. previous episode. But in case you were wondering, this is 
better in the dark. Going ape for an episode. <laughs> we are going ape on one of the hottest days. Well, actually, it's not as hot today. Oh, as last it was. week. We, last week. We had thought about recording last week, but it got to triple digits. Yeah, and. Here in New York. And much as I love this guy, did not want to spend a triple digit weather spin in yeah, a basement exactly. with him. It's still pretty hot today, yeah. but it's tolerable. You and know? we had a rainstorm, so that kind of yeah, uh, dissipated yeah. some of the humidity. And we got the fans going, and we've got our cool drinks here, so Bridges. we're just going to relax and have a good time with you mm-hmm. and talk about apes for the apes. next hour or how long this takes. And this is, of course, the great dean of movie knowledge, Derek Ferguson. And this is the great guru, Thomas DJ. And this is Better in the Dark, episode 112, if this goes off correctly. Yep. We're also trying out a new version of Audacity. Yes. Today. Uh, the first thing it does is decide to piss us off by only recording in mono. But hey. Yeah. But we adapt, we overcome. Right. Adapt to survive. Adapt. That's what I do, you know. Adapt to survive. That's it. That's my power. Adapt to survive. That's it. Have I mentioned? Yeah. I adapt to survive. Yes, you adapt to survive. <laughs> Except when the screenwriters need a convenient death. Yes. Now, before we begin, those of you who've been listening, now that we've moved to Thursday permanently... Yes, do they know that about that? that yes, because the last two episodes have been on Thursday. Right. You may have noticed that there have been a couple of extra names in the outro segment. Right. As you know, we're still running the Dollar a Fan Initiative. Absolutely. We're asking all of you guys to reach into your pocket, find a dollar bill that you were going to use to buy a sweet tea at McDonald's or something, put it in an envelope, send it to us. And a couple of you have responded, and we wanted to thank you all. We have some lovely letters accompanying some of these donations. Okay. Should I remind people where they should send? Oh, uh, well, let's read them first. Okay, let's read them first. Them. Okay, okay, so we're going to kind of split this up. Yeah. Who wants to take this one? Okay. You want to take Nolan? I'll do the first one. Okay. The first one is from Nolan J. Hitchcock, Mm -hmm. who says, Tom and Derek, I'm a relatively new listener. I found you guys through Earth2.net, and your show has become one that I look forward to every couple of weeks. Thanks for being so entertaining and for pointing me towards some great movies. Thank you, Nolan J. Hitchcock. And this is from our good friend Eddie Love. Eddie writes, Hey, Tom and Derek, here's my contribution to the pledge drive. Sorry I'm not able to kick in what I sent earlier, but circumstances have changed a bit, and come September, I'll find myself with some additional mouths to feed here. I think that we know what that means. Congratulations. All around belt tightening, but I hope to help out further in the future. If you or D ever fancy a round trip to the Baltimore area, you definitely have a home base. Just give me a shout. All the best, Eddie Love. And we should mention that Eddie also writes amazingly good reviews. Yes, on our uh, message board. you can find on our message board. It's like every Sunday he posts one, right? Yeah, just about Eddie in the spirit of Better in the Dark. He reviews movies that most people probably have never heard. Heard of. Matter of fact, he even stumped me. He came up with a Gene Hackman movie mm-hmm. I had never heard of. And me, as big a Gene Hackman fan yeah. as I am, I was really surprised. I had never, March or Die. Yeah. With uh, the Foreign Legion film. Right. I had never heard of that thing. If you come up with a movie that yes. I've at least, ne- a Gene Hackman movie that I've never heard of, you're good. Thanks again, Eddie. This one is from David A. Pascarella. Mm-hmm. And he says, Dear Tom and Derek. Please find and close my contribution to Better in the Dark. The show is great, and I look forward to each and every episode. Keep up the great work. Best wishes. And David is from Staten Island. I see oh, you. okay. So, so he's a local guy. So he's a local boy. Thank you very much, David. Much appreciated. Thank you. And finally, I've got a little short note from Kimberly Montgomery. Thank you, Tom and Derek, for the education and entertainment. Ooh. 
And thank you all for your input and your contributions. We've always said here at Veteran Dark Laboratories that we are just a small part of it. You guys are as much a part of this once every two weeks fun fest as we are. But I like that thing with education and comment. Yeah. Because today on our Facebook page, mm-hmm. somebody, I'm not going to mention any names. Right. You know who you are. They may mention that they hated critics. And you replied, well, you do know that Derek and I are kind of critics in a way. I look at us as more as being entertainment commentators than critics, actually. We really don't get into the snobbishness that I think a lot of professional critics do. You have to remember something. Me and Tom look at this from a different angle than, say, a professional critic. Because they're seeing this stuff for free. Yeah. So they can afford to be a little stuck. See, we pay out of pocket for this. Would you? call Roger Ebert, somebody that we've mentioned in great glowing terms in the past. Would you consider him a critic? Yes, I would. He's a critic, but I put him on a different level, because Roger Ebert is just about really the only movie critic. Let me put it this way. 90% of the time, if Roger Ebert says it's a good movie, I'm going to like it, because he seems to have the same sensibilities Mm -hmm. that you and I do. He approaches movies from a completely different angle, and he judges a movie on what it is, and not what it's not. For instance, if he's reviewing a science fiction movie, he bases it up against other science fiction movies, not against Gone with the Wind, which is a totally different genre and method of action. One of the things that people seem to forget about Ebert is that he comes from a background similar to ours. That's true, too. Is that he was a fan as a teenager. Hell, he contributed to Alter Ego, the Roy Thomas fan scene back in the day. Mm -hmm. He came to this table, if you will, Mm -hmm. not only for a love of great film, but also for a love of genre filmmaking. Right. And exploitation filmmaking and all this other stuff. He's not just like some people, like somebody with the name Tex... (laughs) <laughs> Let's just call him that. Let's yeah, just call him yeah. Tex. Yeah, just call him Tex. Yeah. We have reports from other critics that he will leave a movie after 10 minutes and write a whole review based on... But that guy, I remember even way back in the 70s. Yeah. I don't believe I have ever read a favorable review from that guy. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, wait a minute. Why would you get into movie review slash criticism right. if you don't like movies? It's ridiculous. You usually want to get into something because you have a love of it. I don't understand why you would want to get into it if you hate movies, but then again, that's just me. There's a lot of stuff people do that I don't understand. And on the flip side, you've got people who are in movie criticism just so they can get on movie posters. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, which is kind of contemptuous. To us, if you ask me, mm-hmm. just who are more concerned with having their name up in lights than anything yeah. else. And especially nowadays yeah. when the internet gives everybody a form, everybody and their brother thinks that, yeah, well, oh, well, it's easy to review a movie. Well, no, actually, it's not. It's actually not easy. And mm-hmm. as I've been doing it on this podcast with you and also writing it, I have found that most of the time, you know what people want to know? Who's in a movie? What's it about? What's it about? And is it worth their time and yeah. money going to see? And that's it. That's it, right. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's all people really want to know. They're about not interested in any of those esoteric connections they I make. They could kill. <laughs> no, 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 not that. They kill. That's about the cinematography yeah. or who did the catering. Yeah. Or Most people don't care about that crap. They really don't. Me and you are into that kind yeah. of stuff because to me that enhances my enjoyment of the movie. Right. I like knowing something about the people who made it. Yeah, but most people couldn't care less about that type of stuff. Yeah. They just want to know. Listen, is the damn movie good? Is it worth right. my time or not? So, okay. What were we talking about? <laughs> I, I think we're talking about going ape. Okay. 
Which is a reference, of course, back when Derek and I were kids, and they didn't have VCRs. Right. These films used to be... You do realize that there is a sizable segment of our listeners that are now saying, what's a VCR? What's a VCR? Uh, true, Isn't that true. scary that, the, that even... Oh, and we you know that, v, it, that VCRs have been forgotten. There's a good chance in about another 10, 20 years' time, people are going what's a DVD what's player? What's a DVD player? Exactly, yeah. But... The people who put these movies out would, whenever a new one came out, do these marathons of all the previous films under right. the title, Go Ape! This Saturday! That's right. I remember my father took me to see it, and they would have a listing, and it would be a full-page ad. Because not all theaters would play all of the movies. Yeah. Maybe you go see one, or you go see one and right. two, or you could... But yeah, I mean, it was... Back then, it was kind of like an event, and of course, when they came out with the last one, they would tell you, spend the whole day going eight, right. and you can go to certain theaters and see all five. All five, back to back, back to, back to back, back to back. Yeah. And we're talking, of course, about the Planet of the Apes series, which was based on a book by a French science fiction writer, Pierre Boulle. Called Monkey Planet. A Monkey mean, Planet, that was yes. was the original title. Which apparently caught the eye of Arthur J. Jacobs, mm-hmm. a producer who really fell in love with this book and wanted to adapt it for the screen. Right. He originally commissioned Rod Serling, who I think still has a credit on the film itself proper. Yeah. yeah. Although very little of what he wrote is still on the screen. Because mm-hmm. Rod Serling wrote a more faithful ad- adaptation of the novel, which had the apes actually living in cities and driving cars. And yeah, yeah, it was a much more elaborate, know, yeah, elaborate thing. And I, and I believe I'm not sure to hold me to this, but they did change Serling's original ending. Yeah, because his original ending was that the whole movie was a narrative being told as a manuscript yeah. that had been found by two astronauts. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, they take off their helmets or whatever it is, and they're revealed to be eight. Right. And they're reading it and Which they kind of like... oddly enough, kind of keeping in with the ending that Tim Burton gave us many, many yeah. years at the end of this journey. Yeah. Part of the problem was simply that when he finally found a home for this project, 20th Century Fox did not want to put that much money in the film. True. Funny thing is, and, uh, these are all fairly low-budget films, but a lot of these don't look it. They look very nice and very slick mm-hmm. in many ways. And I think part of this is just because Jacobs knew how to find directors who knew how to cut corners and still make a good-looking movie. Yeah. So the first film was directed by Francis J. Schaffner. Who was kind of like these workhorse directors yeah. who just went from one project to another. Mm-hmm. And these were the guys. And don't get me wrong, folks, but you have a lot of directors who are the backbones of the industry. They're yeah. not artists or or tours like, say, Tim yeah. Burton or Steven Spielberg. You have a lot of directors that simply go from one project to another one, making solid, good right. movies, doing it on budget and on time. And that's why these guys and, get and a lot of work. Keep in mind that we're talking about 1968 here, which is the dawn of the auteur age. Well, what, the first one was, what, 68? 68. It was 68, it was 68. Right. And then right. we have... And then we had in the 70s, we had... Yeah, we have, starting with 1970, we have one for the next four years Yeah. after that. So there's a two-year gap between one and two, mm-hmm. and then it's bang, bang, bang. I think that he's actually very when we discuss this film a little mm-hmm. depth a little bit, the plot is very simple. Mm-hmm. Taylor is leading an expedition. Played, played by, by Charlton Heston. Heston, of course. God, he's a dick. I just want to get that out of the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a total, absolute dick. Yeah, well, that's the whole point of the whole thing. Charlton yeah. Heston plays a dick very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because at the beginning of the movie, he's narrating, he's making a log. 
because I think he's the only one that is not in the cryogenic sleep. The rest yeah. of the crew, they're right. in their cryogenics, and he's the last one that's left. The quote I used at the top of this show, the quote that I pulled out to be the significant quote for my ten statements on this film, okay, because it shows that Taylor is a real misanthrope. He does not like people. He does not like society. Mm-hmm. The whole reason he agreed to this long, involved trip is to get away from people. Yeah, yeah. He's convinced there has to be something better than humanity. And I don't understand people like that. I really don't. Yes, humanity has its mm-hmm. faults, and a lot of times I think that people mm-hmm. aren't really all that. But let's face it, we're all we've got. Right. So you better learn how to get along with them on some level. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Or but you become a crazy cat lady. Yeah. But the mission is supposed to go to, yeah. uh, what, Alpha Centauri or something like that. that. So they land on this other planet. They, they crash they, land. Yeah. And they think they're on another planet. Right. Or, or uh, whatever. To give you an idea of how really clever this director was, Francis Schaffner did not have enough money in the budget to shoot the... the actual crash. The actual crash. Which you never see. <laughs> so no, that's what I think is clever, is that he took a camera, mm-hmm. mounted it on a helicopter, and simulated the crash from the point of view, view of the ship. Of the ship. It's and it's really an effective sequence. It is. It works. I mean, the only time you really see the spaceship is when the damn thing is yeah. sinking in the lake. Mm-hmm. And, and Taylor and the other astronauts, the two survivors, mm-hmm. are trying to escape. So they're walking through Utah, subbing for quote unquote another planet. It's a wasteland. And then they come across evidence that there's some form of sentient life because they come across those weird scarecrow things. Yeah. They go and explore further and find a human colony that are living in a very primitive way. They can't talk. They're like one step above, well, apes. Apes. <laughs> and then the thing is that this has been going on for about a half an hour, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. It's been going on for a good long stretch of the film. So we've been on walkabout with Taylor and his friends. Yeah, because we've got about 15 minutes yeah. of Taylor and his two companions right. just walking. One guy who which really doesn't like Taylor. Yeah. Because he challenges, well, I don't understand what you even came on this mission for. Mm-hmm. Taylor says, I'm looking for something better than humanity. Yeah. And one of the guys takes out a little small American flag yes. and he puts it down. And Taylor brags on him unmercifully <laughs> for doing that. He said, do you think anybody really gives a shit? Because the last thing he looked at was counter that was in the spaceship. And he says, we've been gone for 500 years. He mm-hmm. said, you think anybody cares? Because everything you knew yeah. back on Earth is gone. gone. Right. They probably long forgot about us, but this guy feels the obligation yes. to plant the American, which I think is kind of touching. Yeah. yeah, so we get about 15, 20 minutes of Taylor and the guys yes. just wandering through this wasteland. It's what, like a half hour before we actually see any of the apes? Exactly, because that's when, as they're looking on the colony, that's when a bunch of gorillas rock up on horseback <laughs> <laughs> and proceed to open up a can of whoop ass. Yeah, some of the humans they kill outright, and others they capture. Including Taylor. Including Taylor. They shoot him in the throat as Mm -hmm. he's trying to climb down a cliff. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, well, how come the gorillas didn't notice that they were different from them? It's because other humans stole their clothes while they were... Skinny, you know, dipping. skinny dipping, and they stole their suits. So to the apes, they're just another yeah. bunch of dumb humans. So they shoot Taylor in the throat, mm-hmm. and he falls in the lake, which means he can't talk. So he can't tell him, "Hey, right. listen, I'm not from around here." And he goes through another half hour of the movie, Charlton not Heston being not being talk. able to talk. Yeah. And he gets sent to the human house, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Which is being overseen by Kim Hunter. Zira. And Zira is apparently continuing to do investigations because she thinks that humans can have the capacity for speech. Right. And she's really fascinated by Taylor, or as she calls him, 
bright eyes because he seems to understand what I'm saying. He seems to have more intelligence than the rest of the human. And she's standing in front of his cage and she's making gestures and he's mimicking the gestures and she says, oh, he understands what I'm doing. And the guy that's in charge of it, he gets one of the many jokes that's in the book. He's like, you know what they say, human see, human do. (laughs) He beckons her to come closer to the bars in the Mm -hmm. cage. And when he does, he snatches a notebook out of her hand and writes his name. And she takes it. She says, oh, shit. It's <laughs> intelligent you. And she said, I found one. She's telling Cornelius, played by Roddy McDowell, who I believe is the only actor that was in all five of these movies. Actually, he's not in two. That's right. He's not in Benito. He's not in two because of he had a time conflict. Right. So she has him isolated for study. And as, as an experiment, he right. gives her Nova. Yeah. Played by the rather puzzling Linda Harrison. You and I have talked about this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to make of her. She plays a good dummy. Oh, yeah, she plays a good dummy. Supposedly, Andrew J. Jacobs had this vision that he was going to have a giant publicity search to find the most beautiful woman in the world to play Nova. Mm-hmm. And then 20th Century Fox head David Zanuck said, no, you need to use my girlfriend. Oh, okay, well... And she's one of these weird women when, and you, you put it best when you said from one angle she looks actually kind of hot. Yeah. But then from another angle you're like, yeah. Yeah. And literally from one scene to another, you're yeah. there, you're saying, yeah, man, I can see what I can, oh, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> put the bag back on. It's like that episode of Seinfeld. Did yeah. you see the episode of Seinfeld where it was a thing where it was this girl that Jerry was dating and in certain light she looked like a zombie. Yeah. And in other light she looked gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, well, Little Harrison was the same way. The poor girl was set. I think it was a wise decision that they gave her a role where she didn't have to talk. So this way, her acting ability would never be put in doubt. She (laughs) says exactly one word in the entire two films she's in. In the entire, yeah, one word. It turns out that there's a movement, because apparently the way that apes society is structured is that the chimpanzees are kind of like the file workers. Yeah, they're the bureaucrats. They're the bureaucrats. The orangutans are the politicians and the scientists. Statesmen and scientists, yeah. And the gorillas are the grunt guys. Yeah, they're the military. So, apparently the High Council of Orangutans, led by the Chief Scientific Officer, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, wonderfully by Maurice Evans, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, is not too keen on the idea of a sentient human being. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. (laughs) The first time we see him, he comes in and he lays right into Zira and Cornelius about their heretical theories regarding... Because Cornelius had an archaeological dig in the the Forbidden Zone. And has this theory that there was a pre-ape civilization. Right. He claims he's found artifacts that lead to this civilization. Which, of course, is heresy. Because, as they say, oh, God made the ape in his own image. And, as Dr. Zayas likes to say, John Houston up there, lawgiver. Boy, was that a surprise in the the film. That it turns out to be John Houston just like, well, uh... Said ape has always been the only one created in God's image. He's the only one who has the right for rational thought. But we find out soon enough why. After a long time. And one of the things I like about Maurice Evans's performance is he's not the bad guy. No, he's not. And just like all great bad guys, which I've always mm-hmm. said, to make a good bad guy, he doesn't think he's the bad guy. And actually, as the movie goes on and you understand his motivations for yeah. why he's doing what he's doing, you actually can understand why he's doing it. Because he picks up pretty quickly yeah. that Taylor is intelligent yeah. and that and he can see. That, 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 
impresses me is that when he figures this out, he doesn't show him contempt. He shows him respect. Right. He invites him into his home and treats him like another ape. Right. And he explains to him yes. why he's doing what he is. Listen, this could upset the whole foundation, foundation of our society, and I can't have that. And I can understand that because us as humans, wouldn't yes. we do that? Exactly. If an ape started... Well, w- as we'll know, two movies ah, Well, exactly. But... Taylor regains his ability to speak, of course, and for the time his throat heals, which leads us to that classic line from that movie, which everybody missed. Get oh. your paws off of me, you damn dirty ape. And everybody's like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like, holy shit, he can talk. We also find out previous to that sequence that, that there's been a bit of a conspiracy to keep the other two from talking. Yeah. One yeah. gets stuffed. Uh, of course, the brother gets yes. stuffed and put it in a museum. And the other one, what happened to the other one? Well, you know how it's explained that the reason he got stuffed he was, was because... No, no, the reason he got stuffed was because he's the first black person... The first black person, yeah. ...that the apes have ever seen. Have ever seen. So, so he, he was a curiosity. So what does that tell you? Yeah. Even racism on yeah. the planet of the apes. <laughs> That was the, the other old, one. That was the old, he was dissected. No, no. Right? The, the other one, they lobotomize him to prevent oh, him from speaking, remember? Because Taylor finds him and he sees the scar on the side of his head. Right. That's when he goes berserk and he tries to strangle Dr. Zayas. Yeah. He said, oh, you cut out his brain, you stinking ape. Yeah. He tries to choke the shit out of him, which doesn't work. So Taylor is due to be exterminated. but With uh, the help of Vera and Cornelius, Cornelius and Zira's little cousin, Lucius, yeah. who I couldn't stand. Never trust any ape over 30. Yeah. The thing is, people talk about how funny this film is. I didn't see a lot of the humor in it at all, except for the really obvious ones. Like the whole, see no evil, hear no evil thing. Right, but during the trial, yeah. where Taylor yeah. the trial for his and life, Lucius, and, the three, yeah. And, and the three, yeah, they cover it right. And Lucius is the other character, I think, that was there primarily for comic relief, and I think that he's really obnoxious. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be the counterculture kid. He's supposed to be the, I guess it would be, stick it to the ape. Yeah. Kid. But it was that time. And it gets even worse in the second film. But it was yeah. that time of, that time was what it was, so they had mm-hmm. to put that in. So, we come to the part where Taylor, with the help of Zira and Cornelius, he and Nova, they escape. Right. And he goes into the Forbidden Zone, where he goes with Cornelius to the archaeological yes. dig, and they find... And they're and, confronted and they, by Dr. Zayas and... Right, because he yes. follows them, and then they bring Dr. Zayas and into again, the archaeological... another proof that Dr. Zayas isn't really the bad guy, mm-hmm. instead of shooting them on sight, Cornelius says, let me show you this, and he's like, okay. Right. He said, yeah, and he okay. tells the gorillas, stay back. They find a human doll, they find yeah. all kinds of artifacts of a human civilization right. that existed before the ape civilization. Taylor gets a promise from Dr. Zayas that he's going to let Cornelius and Zero continue their research, yeah. and he's not going to harass them, and he ties him up. Yeah. And he decides that he's going to leave. Don't come after me. I'll kill you. I don't want to be bothered with you. Yeah. I'm just going to go off and explore the and rest have of the planet. By right. Dumb and Z- woman. And Zayas, apparently, who knows a lot more than anybody else in the movie, tells him, Taylor, don't go out there. You're yeah. not going to like what you're going to find. I've been dreading this day. I knew somebody like you were going to show Which up. Which leads me to think that all along, Dr. Zayas knew that there was yeah. a pre ape civilization mm-hmm. from the things he said. Oh, no. The, the, the impression I get is that there's been a conspiracy amongst the orangutan higher council for mm. a long time to suppress the mm. fact that ape evolved from man, so to speak. Yeah. So, Taylor goes off with Nova, and of course, we're treated to another 15 to minute uh, to, to sequence yes. where they just ride him through the desert on a horse with no name. You know, Nova, it's good to be out in the rain. <laughs> you know, I 
can't remember my own name. But it feels so good not to remember your own name. Right now, people are going like, what? Said, yeah, they went off the rails again. <laughs> and then we come to the scene that, of course, yes. people who even have never seen Planet of the Apes know about where he gets to the beach mm-hmm. and he drops to his knees and he starts screaming, oh, you sons of bitches, you dirty bastards, you blew yeah, it up. Yeah. And then the camera pulls back to reveal half of the Statue of Liberty. Liberty buried in the sand. And then we realize that the Planet and of the Apes actually is Consider how many future. times this ending has been quoted and misquoted. Badly by films both for serious and not so serious purposes. Mm -hmm. It amazed me at how effective that ending still was. It still is, yeah. Because even though you know it's coming, it's still Mm -hmm. a powerful image. And like you said, it's become an iconic image of the Mm -hmm. Statue of Liberty there in the thing. And the thing I like about this movie is that when it ends, there's no music played. It was just, yeah. Here are the players. Yeah. This is who presented it. Good night, everybody. Right. It gives you a chance to let the shit sink in. Whereas if it was made today, you'd have a rap song. A play, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Because we're rapping on the planet of the apes. Yeah. Just the fact that it ends like that and it's silence, it gives it time for mm-hmm. you to sink in and you have that oh shit moment. Yeah. To me, Planet of the Apes, most people, I think that they should see it because this is one of those science fiction mm-hmm. movies that to me, you can't say you're a science fiction fan if you haven't seen right. it. It's just one of those movies. You gotta see Planet of the Apes. I wanna mention one other thing. Mm-hmm. Jerry Goldsmith does right. the score for this film. And I really, really enjoyed it because he uses a lot of non-conventional instrumentation. Mm-hmm. to simulate grunts and people hitting bones and such. And most importantly, he doesn't overpower the film. Great gouts of this film take place in silence. Yeah, exactly. There's not a lot of music in this movie. I'm convinced that Goldsmith approached writing the score for this film as if it was a Greek chorus. It's there to comment on the story, mm-hmm. not to enhance the story. Gotcha. Really just a very well done score. I was surprised at how well this film... Because I hadn't seen it in three decades. Yeah. And I was surprised at how well this film held up. Not so much the next one. Well, see, then we're going to disagree on that because I do. I think it's one of the few sequels that is almost as good right. as the original. It's a sequel that actually continues the story. Okay. It's not just, okay, well, here's a sequel. They actually said, <laughs> here's how it left off. How can we logically continue the story? Right. Which brings us to, of course, Beneath the Planet planet of the Apes. Now, to be fair, I think both of us have fairly personal connections to this particular film. Yeah. This is one of the earliest films that I remember my natural father and my mother taking me to see at the Sunrise Drive-In. Yeah. This was the first Apes movie I saw in the theaters, too. I actually didn't see Planet of the Apes until they started Mm -hmm. showing it on TV. But this was the first one I went to the theaters to see. And it was a movie for me because this was the first movie I had ever seen... Mm -hmm. Whereas I was telling you, where the heroes lose. The heroes yeah. don't win at the end. Nobody wins at Nobody the end. Nobody wins. I was a kid. I was sitting there with, with my mouth drool coming down. I said, say, well, because uh-huh. I'm expecting, of course, the heroes. And to once try. again, no music at the end. Yeah. It's just the narration. Well, yeah, but they have the narration that Taylor blew the shit up. <laughs> but in this one, we have Jane Franciscus, who... Well, the only reason they have James Franciscus in this film is because, of course, Charlton Heston did not want to come back. No, 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 he didn't want to do it. He agreed to come back in a smaller role on two conditions. One, that his salary gets donated to charity. Mm-hmm. And two, that he has definitive proof that he is killed off at the end and never has to be in another film. Right. But they got James Franciscus, who I guess is as much of as close to... Because there's some season that they look like they yeah. could be brothers. And he's got this 
George Hamilton tan. Mm-hmm. James Francisco said, well, I said, damn, right. this guy is tan. But he plays Brett, who has been sent on a mission to find out what happened to Tan. <laughs> Some rescue mission. Yes. Because he crashes too. Yeah. <laughs> they go through the same wormhole and end up there. Where do they find these guys at? They crash. They, they don't come back. They crash the ship. He finds the same settlement. Yeah. See, this is one of my problems with the film, which is that Brent has no character arc. He's just a placeholder. Yeah. He's just meant to get us from one place to another. Yeah. That's it. He's not even a dick like Taylor. Yeah. Not only was Taylor a dick, he, he was an entertaining dick. Exactly. He was an entertaining Brent isn't even that. And you're 100% right in that. I'm not going to take away from that. He's just meant to get us from one set piece to another. Mm-hmm. He gets to the ape city. And, of course, in another coincidence, he meets Zira and Cornelius. And Cornelius. And it turns out that since we last saw the Ape City, there's been a little bit of a schism between the gorillas and the orangutans. Oh, yeah. This is the other reason why I really have a problem with this film, which is that... <laughs> Whereas the first film wore its satire very humbly and very subtly. Uh, in fact, I don't know if I told you this. I was looking at the text commentary track, and they mentioned that Sammy Davis Jr. considered Planet of the Apes the greatest film ever made about race relations. The other statue of Wallgiver mm-hmm. in the temple in the first film yeah. asked if he could have that, and he put it in his backyard. Well, I can see that because there yeah. are some subtle. The original Planet of the Apes, okay, the first one, it touched on a lot of things because you got to remember Vietnam was going on at that yeah. time too, and they kind of touched on that with the militancy of the guerrillas, yeah. and it touched on racism, and yeah, it touched on a lot of societal things that was going on, mm-hmm. which isn't surprising because there's Rod Serling we're yeah. talking about who wrote the screenplay, and he did a lot of that in the Twilight. Right. Zone, as we all know. And of course, we had in this one, the sequel, the militancy of the apes, because of course, the right. Vietnam War had escalated, and we had the guerrillas, they had escalated their Led militancy. By the very yeah. vigorous James Gregory playing General Nurses. The only good human is a dead human! I have to admit that I did enjoy how vigorous he was. I liked him. <laughs> this cat was just wipe him out and let the ape god sort him out. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he was just like going, we should go into the Forbidden Zone and wipe everybody out. Wipe who? Dr. says wipe who out? There's nobody there. and he There's two humans in there. You're going to go and find two humans. Right, but then Ursa says that he sent patrols in there and they never come back. Yeah. So obviously there's something in there. And I'm going to go find out what happened no ape gets left behind (laughs) as the first one was about race relations this one is about the Vietnam War yeah the satire becomes so ham-fisted we have protesters doing the sit-down yeah yeah in the middle of Ape Village which Mm. I'm like they're gonna go like really guys Really? The chimpanzees, yeah. they just sit down. <laughs> to be fair, Maurice Evans, once again, does a great job. In these first two films, he really is my favorite character. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how he ends up being the instrument of the demise of the world. He's one smart monkey. <laughs> but he, once again, he's doing it for the right reason. To me, it's hard to disagree mm-hmm. with a bad guy who's got a good reason for what he's doing. Because mm-hmm. I sit there and say, I can understand where he's coming from. But Brent, he... Along with Nova. Along with Nova, who of course he found while he was on his way to the thing, and she was wearing Taylor's dog Dog tags, right? Which is why he hung on to her. He's captured himself. Right. And of course, again, with Zira pulling mm-hmm. the same trick that she did in yeah. the first one, helps him escape. And they get away and they make their way to a tunnel that leads them underground, which 
our home city. That's the thing that amazes me because I thought this was Los Angeles. Well, actually, it makes sense because if you think about it, yeah. in, in the first movie, Taylor found the Statue of Liberty, which right. meant that That's presumably true. he was on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So we got to figure that. Although it's, it's funny how once we get to film four and five, mm-hmm. it's unapologetically LA. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the next three films, it's all LA. Right. Well, of course, they make it pretty plain in the first yeah. one that takes place in New York because right. that's what they find. Okay. They underground New York. So we find right the Queensboro Bridge. Yeah. We find St. Patrick's Cathedral. We find Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And, oh. and I gotta admit, that sequence, it's less about what? About five, ten minutes. The New York Library. New York Public yeah, Library. Uh, yeah. Pretty much near silent of Franciscus and Harrison wandering through dead New York. And even today, that's a pretty effective sequence, special effects wise, mm-hmm. too. It's only when they stop off for a drink and Brent decides to strangle Nova out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, he hears that high-pitched hum. Yeah. And that would make me want to <laughs> strangle anybody, too. Or maybe he just saw her in the wrong light for the first time and I'm like, ah! Yeah, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but he tried to strangle her and then that's when we learned that old New York is inhabited by a race of telepathic mutants. Oh, tink, tink. Yeah. Now, this is where, as much as I like this movie, this is where it starts to go off the rails a little bit. Because if they're the only ones inhabiting this city, and they're the only ones got to look at each other, why do they wear latex masks? To simulate, quote-unquote, normal humans. They have this scene where they're worshipping, we find out that in St. Patrick's Cathedral, they're worshipping a nuclear bomb. Mm -hmm. Which apparently migrated from Los Angeles, as we'll learn. Right, apparently. They said, I reveal myself to my God. And they pull off these latex masks to reveal all Which the... Which I find interesting that apparently the first thing that these mutants do when they found their civilization is relearn how to vulcanize rubber. See, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> this why it makes absolutely no sense. If these are the only people that you have to look at, to you, that's normal. Why would you go through all the trouble and walk around all day long in these hot latex yeah. masks for absolutely no reason at all, just for the shock value of... Scaring the shit out yeah. of Brent <laughs> during that sequence. This whole mutant civilization just pissed me off to know But that. in the meantime, yeah. while we're discovering the mutant civilization, Ursus has put together an army and he's going to the Forbidden Zone. And yeah. Dr. Zaya says, somebody with some brains has got yeah. to go along. So I'm going too. And Ursus says, well, you can go as long as you realize that I'm in charge. Right. And Zaya says, okay. He's thinking, well, he's a damn stupid gorilla. Yeah. Anyway, I can outthink him. So they go into the Forbidden Zone and they find the underground city yeah. at just about the same time that Brent finds Taylor right. who has been held hostage and by is these. apparently now dressed really suave in a white linen suit yeah he looks cool oh he looks like he hasn't been having such a bad time with the mutants it seems to me that if you were these mutants and you had been polluted by radiation you would delight finding an unpolluted yes. human who's a gene pool you could use to help yes. revitalize your own failing a pair of set no less yeah you got a set mainly female. Holy shit. (laughs) What more could you want? But they have this irrational fear of Taylor and Brent and using their as the very unfortunately named character Negro says. Negro, yeah. Mr. Taylor, Mr. Brent, we are a peaceful people. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. kill each other. Why don't you just shoot them? Which makes absolutely no sense yes. at all. So they force them to fight each other. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I thought that Star Trek music, too. Everything's going to hell. The apes yeah. have invaded. Brent and Taylor. That's when Nova says right. the one time. She screams Taylor. out, Taylor. And it distracts Negro. Lord. Oh, God. I saw that name in the credits, and I'm like, 
Really? And I think the actor's name is Don Pedro Coley. He, he was in THX 113. He was in quite a few science fiction movies. Well, hopefully he had a better name than... Well, he had a number yes, in that movie. Don Pedro Coley. But he was one of these big black guys with an imposing James Earl Jones-like voice. Yeah. That's who his voice reminds me of. They kill him, and they decide that the only thing that's left for them to do, since they figure they're not going to survive anyway, mm -hmm. is to get to the bomb right. and set it to blow up. The apes have got the bomb. They don't know what it is. Brenton Taylor stays this last desperate effort. Are you insane? You're going to blow the whole world up. Right. And they do. Taylor gets riddled with bullets. The apes shoot the shit out of him. And Taylor is also shot the splinters. But he manages to get to the bomb and detonate it. Screen goes white. We have narration, and presumably this is the end of the planet right. of the Apes series because Earth has been destroyed, and all of our characters but are dead. But it made money. Yes, it did. It made lots of money. Matter of fact, it made more than the first mm -hmm. one, which itself was a surprise hit. Nobody expected that movie to be as well. And mm -hmm. not only was it a financial success, it was a critical success as right. well. The critics loved this movie, surprisingly so, enough. Because it made money, 20th Century Fox said, we want some more. Can we have more, please? And they're saying, wait a minute. Didn't we just blow this shit up so we right. wouldn't have to make any more? Because they figured if they wasn't going to have a star like Charlton yeah. Heston, there was no point in continuing. But Ace Mania was so wild. They said, yeah. Okay. But to be fair, they came up with a beautiful idea. What's that? Let's take two of our popular characters. Right. Bring them into the modern day. Yeah. We've seen modern humans in ape world. Let's take apes and put them in human world. Which gave us, and I love this film. Escape from the Planet of the Apes. I think this is probably your favorite, right? I think this may be, because the satire is back to being a lot more subtle and fun. It's probably the most fun that Roddy McDowell seems to have. As the And this is a satire that takes yeah. place, as you accurately point out, in modern day yeah. times. Yeah. Eric Braden plays the villain and plays it well unlike the villains that we get in the next two. And you get some wonderful supporting characters including Ricardo Montalban. Sal Minio is in this yes, one. Sal Minio very briefly and it also features probably the best pre-credit teaser of all of them. So? Where you have the ship from the first two has crashed again and you see all these people coming and coming and coming and the, the assumption is oh maybe Brent got back or something. Yeah somebody got back. Yeah. And the three astronauts come out and it's three eight <laughs> it's Roddy McDowell, Kim Hunter, and Sal Mineo. Who apparently, Cornelia and Zero were a lot smarter than anybody figured because not only did they find the ship, mm -hmm. but they found a way to get it out of the lake. Right. They found a way to repair the damaged computer systems. They found a way to synthesize right. the fuel. A lot of it is because of Milo. <laughs> Yeah, oh well. The Salminio yeah. character. Yeah. In fact, they named the kid Milo. Right after, after yeah, him. Yeah. Because, of course, <laughs> he gets killed by a dumb, stupid gorilla. <laughs> Don't they have a scene where they're absolutely appalled at their yeah. apes in cages? And somebody's like, well, shit, didn't you do the same thing to humans on your world? Yeah. But they don't let all Well, it's like, at first, they just <coughs> think it's just somebody put these apes in costumes as a joke. And two animal psychologists they call in, Bradford Dillman's Dr. Lewis Dixon and Natalie Trundy's Dr. Stephanie Branton, mm -hmm. are doing these tests. At the minute they leave, they're like, oh, please, this is ridiculous. This is insulting. Because at first, they don't talk. They because Milo is saying, no, we can't 
talk. Right, know? yeah, we gotta play dumb. But eventually, Zira has had enough, as she does this little thing where she gets to... And he's like, why isn't she touching the bananas? She's like, I hate bananas. Oh, shit. Yeah, Shut up. yeah, okay. And at first, once they appear before a presidential committee and become celebrities, Zira's... Talking in front of women's groups and oh yeah, talking about female yeah. right, Cornelius is oh. pimped out in that yeah, right. horrible rainbow. Oh yeah, Brad Pittman takes them and get them. I mean, some. look at this thing here. That's the scariest thing in the movie. It takes a real man to wear an outfit like that. And God love him, Roddy McDowell just took it like a man. Colin Baker wouldn't wear that. Oh God, it's like no, I'm sorry, that's a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> Now, while this is all going on, there being major celebrities, Eric Braden, Dr. Hasselin, who is the presidential advisor, scientific advisor, is a little suspicious because, of course, he hears Zira stop at certain moments in her yeah. testimony, and he starts piecing together what's been going down. Yeah, he's trying to figure out, how did your world get started, and what was your world like? How was you intrigued on your world? And yeah, and there's things that he realizes that they're deliberately omitting that the rest of the public are not picking and up on. once again, the great thing about Eric Braden is he's a villain. He's more aversely a villain than Dr. Zayas is, but his motivations are entirely understandable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He recognizes that there's a threat here somewhere. And for most of the movie, he senses there's a threat here. He doesn't know exactly where right. it is or where it's coming from, but he realizes that these apes ain't kosher. These ain't the cute monkeys in the zoo that take the peanuts out your hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The apes find themselves on the run yet again. Yet again. Find refuge with Armando, played by Ricardo Montalban. With gusto. Oh, with great gusto. He loves having he, at one point. But let me ask you something. Has there ever been Ricardo Montalban's performance <laughs> that he didn't play with gusto? This guy's like the king of gusto. Right. And he's like, I've got to settle let these monkeys stay. Because what we found out previously, the zero, she's pregnant. That's what, bro, that's what And that's what puts him on the run. Eric Braden, and that's what puts Eric Braden on. But the end, it's like, no, can't you see? This is the beginning. And he actually wants her sterilized mm-hmm. before, well, he wants an abortion. Right. Because he says, if the baby has an abortion, that's it. We just got these two monkeys to deal with. Yeah. And we don't have to worry about the plan of the apes ever starting up again. At one point during their escape, Cornelius accidentally kills a soldier. Yeah. Which, to me, always seemed at odds mm-hmm. with the way Cornelius has been portrayed in the previous two films. As someone who's almost timid. Yeah. Who was a staunch believer in nonviolence. But even the most staunch believer in nonviolence, mm-hmm. and I'm a firm believer in this, I don't care how much you preach about nonviolence, mm-hmm. you're still not going to stand by while somebody, A, either kills your wife or your child. Yeah. You're going to do something, which is why I can buy that. Because he is, he's defending his wife and his child. And listen, pacifism goes out the window. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. But I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it eventually ends up with them cornered on a freighter in a dock in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and they are killed. Quite brutally, yeah, Yeah, I might add. There's no sugar coating. We cut to something else and you hear a gunshot. Cornelius and Zero, they come to a very... And this is the thing that's through these movies. These movies are pretty damn cynical and dark and depressing. And it amazes me that these were all G-rated films. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We have these things where we see them very... And we've gotten know these two characters yeah. and we like these and, two and the other characters thing, of course, and this is I think a credit to Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter the way their body language is and the way for example even when they're not talking their mouth mm-hmm. is always kind of moving yeah McDowell and Hunter managed to make the makeup invisible so to speak 
So we look at yeah. Zira and Cornelius not has a makeup effect, but has actual honest-to-God characters. And this might be one of the many problems with the Tim Burton remake. We never quite buy the apes because we see far too much of the human in the makeup. Yeah, because of course by this time, Kim yeah. Hunter, she was old hand at this, right. and Roddy McDowell as well. They actually learned how to make the makeup work in their yeah. performance because with a quirk of their mouth mm-hmm. or the eyelids or whatever, they were able to convey what they were thinking or feeling at yeah. any certain moment. So they had learned how to make the makeup work for them. Even in the last one, where the makeup is so bad, <laughs> where the makeup is now so stiff uh-huh. that other actors just never get past the fact this is a guy in a mask. Okay, especially during the battle scenes. Yeah. You can actually see that there are some apes that it's obviously just a mask. Oh. It's just like a Halloween kid's mask that they well, just hey, pull over their head. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that when we get to <laughs> Battle for the Planet of the Apes. The great thing about this film also is it opens up a new avenue right, for more films. Mm-hmm. Because now that we've got them back in quote-unquote modern day, you can do, theoretically, a thousand years of stories. By resetting it like this, Jacobs effectively blew open the doors. Reboot! And the thing was, it wasn't a reboot like some of you people understand, you morons. That's a dirty word around yeah. here, as we'll get into the next episode we're going to do after okay. that today. <laughs> it is, in a way, a reboot, but it's a reboot that keeps the continuity alive. It doesn't violate what's going before, exactly. but it completely opens up something new mm-hmm. that we can build on now. And this leads us to the next film. There's that weird story where in Escape, where Kim Hunter tells why the monkeys got to be the way they were. (laughs) That weird thing about the plague that killed all the cats and dogs. Yeah! And they decided to get monkeys as pets, and then they decided, well, we can train monkeys to do human tasks. Let's make them into slaves. And then this guy named Aldo comes along, Mm -hmm. and he's a monkey. He says the first word a human hears out of a monkey, and it's the one word that monkeys have heard from humans all this time, no. No. Right? So she tells this great mythology, and this leads us into conquest for the planet of the apes. Mm -hmm. At the end of Escape, we find out that before Zira and Cornelius ran away for the last time to their death, they switched Milo, their baby, with the baby of a female gorilla. That had just given birth. That had just given birth. So the female gorilla she has Milo, who in the previous movie we see at the end of the movie. He's well, that, that's a great image. That final great image. He said Mama. And once again, yeah. no music over the credits. Mm-hmm. Just Mama, Mama. Again, gives you time for the oh shit yeah. to sink in. So, Conquest of the Planet Apes jumps ahead an unspecified amount of years. I'm assuming about maybe 20, 30 years or so. I would say anywhere from 30 to 50. Yeah. Young Milo. They try to make it look a little bit futuristic, yeah. I noticed. Well, yeah. they use downtown Los Angeles, which at that time looked pretty futuristic. Because mm-hmm. it's all these big metal buildings yeah. with very stark angles. Yeah. Once again, I'm not sure, but I think the budgets kept getting slashed with each successive oh, film. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Jacobs knew how to work it. So that by using this particular area of Los Angeles, it looks like... And also, you'll notice that this is where the films start just happening in Northern America. Yeah. Circa blank. Blank, yeah. Although it's quite obvious that this is Los Angeles and Battle for Planet Apes take place in California as well. Milo is now a young man. He's been living with Armando outside of America. Milo is played by Roddy McDowell, who, as I mentioned earlier, plays his own. He's probably the only character in film history that got to play the father he and the son. He plays three generations. I think yeah. Galen is Galen is Galen a descendant of Milo. Is yeah. a descendant of Milo. Wow. Or as we will learn, he's named Caesar. Caesar, yeah. He changed his name. Okay. Actually, this is supposed to take place in 1991 North America. 
Oh, okay. So, apparently the apes have already taken over. <laughs> Much like the second film was about Vietnam, this film is this kind of weird mishmash about slavery and Nazism yeah. and fascism. This is so blatantly a mm-hmm. movie, because at the time that this was made, of course, what was in full swing? The Civil Rights right. Movement. We had protest. We, are, we, we had, had black exploitation coming right. in as a genre. So this time. whole thing was a whole take, a pretty blatant look at racism and slavery because that's what the apes are in this world. They're yeah. slaves. Hell, they even come to America in crates. Yeah. Armando explains that my last pretend to be dumb because they're bringing their circus into North America for the first time in years. Yeah. And Armando is a little less spry. Mm-hmm. He's a much older man. He's really worried. I mean, there's a definite great deal of like father-son sort of relationship. Yeah, apparently. Which is one of the reasons why I love Armando. Apparently Armando was a stand-up guy. Yeah. Because he raised Milo like a human being. I think there's something mentioned made that he taught him everything he knew. He Mm -hmm. educated him and he showed that he knew how to read and write. And Milo, yeah, you can see that the way they have have like a father-son type relationship. And the script by Paul Dean, who also wrote Escape. And it shows, because once there's a tremendous amount of consistency in this film. What eventually happens is that they witness that day Kim Hunter talks about. When Aldo is being dragged away and he says no. And the cops go all Rodney King on him. <laughs> Given the, what the year this film was supposed to take place in, uh-huh. actually is very appropriate, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Milo has had enough of their shit mm-hmm. and calls out, leave him alone. Mm-hmm. And Armando's like, oh god, oh no, no, it was me. It was yeah, me. yeah, it was me, it was me. I said that, no, you didn't. That monkey no, spoke. <laughs> no, no. And so... I thought um, that he's like, well, I'm a bitch. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Armando is taken away to the offices of the governor of California. Right. And there is one really good villain and one really... The governor is so cardboard, they might as well put a little Hitler mustache on his... Who's that, Don Murray? Yes. Yeah, oh, God. But I got to admit, I loved Severin Darden's chief of police. Right. I love the fact he never speaks above a whisper. Mm-hmm. The people who are really in power never have yeah. to speak above a whisper. They don't have to yell. They don't have to scream. You know why? Because they're in power. Yes. See, those are the guys that really scare me. The ones mm-hmm. that never raise their voice. The guy that's doing all the hollering and screaming and yeah. foaming at the mouth, pretty much you can say, yeah, okay, well, I'll wait till you finish. Right. But the guy that just, talk, and is reasonable while he's talking to you, and yeah. he's trying to make you understand he's, he's exactly how deep probably shit Probably went to in. the same club that Christoph Waltz's character went. In Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, see, this guy, serving Dar's character, yeah. him and Dr. Zayas could hang Darden out. Darden is a tremendous actor. Only made films for like a very short period of time in the 60s and 70s. But he's really, really good as an actor overall. He was one of those actors that no matter what I saw him in, I would sit up yeah. and pay attention because I knew something interesting is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Anytime he's on screen, he's just one of those guys. During the course of the interrogation, Armando kind of has a mishap that's kind of fatal. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, while this is going on... You put things so charitably, yes. Tom. <laughs> yeah, while this is going on, Milo has followed Armando's instructions and infiltrated the ape feeder system. And so you get to see all the th- where you know, the slave sale and all this other bullcrap. And he ends up working in the governor's office. Now we should mention that there's the obligatory yes. black character right. in the movie. But he's the guy that we're supposed to look at him and we're supposed to say, well, yeah. 
He's a black guy. He's a descendant of Harry Rose. Rose. Harry Rose, right. How can he watch this atrocities go on? And he's even mm-hmm. called on it one time right. by Milo. He says, well, I've read your history. He said the same thing as was doing with us. Right. was done to your people. How can right. you just stand there? Are you that far removed yeah. from what happened to your people that you can watch what's going on with mine? And it's a very interesting and powerful well, moment that in that moment. Well, that whole discussion where McDonald is trying, because Milo, at this point now, he's named Caesar. Yeah. He's renamed Caesar by the governor. And Caesar says, there's only one thing we can do, revolution. And McDonald goes, you guys are going to die. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps this time. That doesn't mean we won't try again. Eventually, we're going to yeah. win. Yeah. And once again, Caesar is smart about this. One of the things I love about McDowell's performance is you can tell this is a monkey that's always thinking. Yeah. There's some nice moments of comedy because he's telling all the apes in their little clandestine terrorist cell mm-hmm. to bring weapons. And at one point, somebody brings like a mop. <laughs> and he's good, good. And then he turns to, to, to somebody and goes like, <laughs> Use that one for cannon fodder. <laughs> and you get these outbreaks of ape disobedience. Yeah. Like the the one ape. And we see Orson before because he got scared of fire earlier on the first act. Well, the, yeah. In the second act, he burns down the restaurant. Mm hmm. He wasn't scared no more. And it ends with, of course, rebellion. Uh, yeah, a we tense, s- about 10 minute sequence where the apes just lay down the smack. Which is where we get the phrase going ape shit yes. from because that's literally what happens. The apes go ape shit. They leave the black guy alive. Yes. The, the, the brother lives at the end of this yeah. But Caesar tells him he specifically wanted him left alive yeah. so he could see what's going to happen yeah. to the rest of the humanity, what he's going to do to them. They eventually capture Governor Breck and they're about to kill him. But Lisa, played by... Oddly, I thought this was a nice touch. Natalie Trundy, who played one of the psychologists mm-hmm. in Escape, plays Lisa, who is Caesar's love interest in this film and in the next film. She's the first ape to speak other than Caesar. She says no. Mm-hmm. as he's about to kill him. And this persuades Caesar that there has to be another path. Right. And so he decides, he and his apes and select humans move on. Right. Of course, this made money. Made a shitload of money. The funny thing about these movies is that, yeah, and you pointed out, and they did this with the Star Trek movies, yeah. too. Each movie made more and more money, but they kept cutting the budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of just saying, well, let's put more money into it yeah. and make it even bigger. No, they didn't do that. They said, okay, we'll take another million dollars off. Because, I mean, the last one just about takes place outdoors. There are really no sets yeah. that they had to paint. Oh, no. There's a small sequence in what is supposed to be New Los Angeles, mm-hmm. represented by one of the worst matte paintings I've seen in oh, a long yeah, time. Yeah. But other than that, you're right, it takes place out in a field. Yeah. But this one, once again, made money, so then it was time for what ended up being the last of the ape films, which is Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Woo! This is sometime later after the big war, and there was a nuclear exchange. The apes have gone off to live in this kind of utopia with their friendly humans in this kind of like utopian. Yeah. They're tame humans. Let's be honest, this is a commune. It is, it's a commune, yeah. They live in this commune. Again, reflecting what was going on right. at the time, because as you, this was what, 1973? Three, yeah. As you remember back then, it was that big back to earth yeah. movement, and people were doing that and it was free love and putting mm-hmm. the flowers in the muzzle yeah. of rifles and 
everybody was singing the age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. And this is what I keep saying to you people because you keep saying, well, I don't want to see that old movie. That shit is old. But movies are cultural artifacts. Right. Movies are a lot of times representative of what was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. And as Tom and I have been trying to bring out to you, each of these succeeding movies, they have each touched upon something that right. was going on back then at that time. It was that whole hippie I think they knew this was the last of the film because it has that weird framing sequence with John Huston mm -hmm. playing lawgiver. The lawgiver, yeah. Doing this long, involved speech about what happened after the conquest. Something if you have him doing it, you don't have to show it. Yeah, exactly. Because um, they don't have the budget yes, to show exactly. it. <laughs> this is the first one where the budget cutting really shows. Yeah, this is probably masks. why it's yeah. my least favorite of all. Yeah. I mean, this thing looks like they shot it for television, really. Which is odd you say that, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Oh, okay. They're all living in this kind of hippy-dippy commune. Mm -hmm. We have a human teacher teaching ape, uh, children. ape children and ape. the soldiers. And ape teachers teaching you, yes. <laughs> vice versa. And the ape soldiers aren't happy that they have to sit here and learn to read. No, 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 no. And they, they are led by Aldo, played by Claude Akins in his really bad monkey mask. Because doesn't even at one point he come into the school and he kicks over the yes. He said, later for this shit. Because I'm go he do, gets it wrong. I'm going to do target practice. Yeah. yeah. They write up what is Caesar's first law: "Ape shall never kill him." Kill right, ape shall never and kill him. Cornelius one. Let's call him because, of course, he's not related to Cornelius the first Cornelius, mm -hmm. but he is the son of Caesar, so he's technically he's the first. I hate when time travel gets. Yeah, like I know this. time travel. Gets anyway, like this. Caesar's son writes it as "Ape will never kill Abe," which is the name of the, the school teacher. And school well, that's very clever. Mm -hmm. You're a nice, but Aldo doesn't write it well, and, mm -hmm. and Abe says, "No, I'm sorry. You, you got to redo it." <laughs> First off, he tears up <laughs> Cornelius One's work. He's tearing up his own work, and Abe says the one word humans are not allowed to say to apes: mm -hmm. no. "No," and that causes him to be chased around by the gorillas. <laughs> Yeah. And we meet a character who actually I learned to really enjoy, played by Paul Williams. Mm -hmm. Virgil. Yeah, Virgil. Who really made me wonder, watching him, because he actually does very well with this part, mm -hmm. makes me wonder what would have happened if Paul Williams didn't take roles solely where he was going to be an oddity because of his height. Let me tell you something. People underestimate Paul Williams. If you watch him in movies like this, Phantom the of the Paradise, yeah. Smokey and the Bandit, mm -hmm. you realize he was a pretty good actor. And there is definitely a bit of an inequality between the apes and the humans. And as Caesar <laughs> mentions, when this is McDonald's cousin, it's not McDonald himself, but when his cousin mentions, who's like one of Caesar's most trusted advisors, yeah. says, well, when are we going to be equals? And Caesar says, well, I find that if you like a person, you automatically start treating them as equals. So when I get to the point where I can like all humans, <laughs> then we will be equals. Then we'll be equals. <laughs> <laughs> but... Of course, things are not well. Because although, of course, is more like... Them pesky gorillas. I will make the future with this! No, oh, yeah. He doesn't have a sword or he a knife. He has a sword. He yeah. goes, Aldo will make the future with this! Mm -hmm. To which, of course, Caesar replies, Well then, Aldo may very well soon be in the past. Yeah, ah... Carefully veiled threat there. Yeah. Caesar starts feeling, I don't know my mommy and daddy. He starts feeling orphan issues. Yeah, yeah. So McDonald's cousin says, I'll tell you what, they're supposed to be recordings. If we can find them in old Los Angeles, yeah. you can see them. See, you can see them and you can know what your mother and father was Look, like. Yeah. like. So McDonald's cousin, Caesar, and Virgil take some weapons from the weapon master. They sneak out. Yeah. They, leave. They, they don't let yes. anybody know where they're going. They're just going right. to go. Yeah. By his own law, it's forbidden to yeah. go there. 
there. So Caesar is breaking his own law right. by going there, which is why he doesn't tell anybody where he's going. So they go to Matt City, and they eventually do find recordings of Zira and Cornelius, mm-hmm. and pictures and stuff, and he's that's my parents. That's my mommy. Meanwhile, that's my dad. we learned that Inspector Culp... And I look and I sound just like him. Yes. Right. <laughs> we learned that Inspector Culp has apparently been turned into a mutant. Uh, Although, of course, these mutants just look like guys who haven't been hitting the Oxycontin very much. Yeah. And he goes, we have intruders, we must go get them. And he recognizes Caesar and is like, ah, he's responsible, we should go and kill them. We talked about how much we like Severin Darden in the first film. Right. This one, he's more of a stand-in for Governor Breck. Yeah. And he's got that stupid-looking swim cap. They all wear the stupid swim caps. Yeah. This movie, I would probably like it a lot more if it wasn't for the overwhelming cheapness of it. This movie looks terrible. You know what it looks like? It looks like they just went to the old warehouse where they keep all the props and costume store and took anything that they could get. Well, okay, well, how can we make them look different? Well, give them these swim caps. They look like something from old Esther Williams movie from back in the 40s, quite frankly. Caesar and them escape. The mutants come following. Aldo uses this as an excuse to stage a coup, which is discovered as he's plotting this coup by Cornelius I, who is killed accidentally by Aldo. Mm-hmm. Well, not quite so accurate, because he is, like, chopping yeah, at the... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not all that accident. Yeah, okay. Caesar is too busy going, my son, my son, he's dying, he's dying, mm-hmm. to notice that the mutants are coming. Literally the short bus. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> the short bus. And there's a bunch of punchy, punchy run, run. And this is another thing that's lagging in the movie. For a movie that's built and whose title is Battle for the Planet of the Apes, it's really not much of a battle. No. 75% of the movie is taken up with talking. Right. And the battle is resolved, like, pretty quickly. We quick. get, like, a cam by the bomb. Yeah. We have the two characters that Culp leaves behind. Mm-hmm. Apparently there was only one Asian woman in Los Angeles at the time. Yeah. The one Asian woman the one Hispanic guy in the whole mutant community get left behind. Right. And they decide... Even though they were ordered to blow up the place, let's play checkers instead. (laughs) Okay. Meanwhile, Virgil figures out that Aldo was responsible for Cornelius' death and tells Caesar, and then comes the most ridiculous final confrontation between Hero and Villain ever, where they climb a tree. Yeah. And climb a tree. Well, they're monkeys. And then they climb a tree some more. Did I mention they climb some trees? Well, yeah. Well, they're monkeys. And eventually, Aldo falls to his death. Yeah. Because Ape has killed Ape. Which is kind of stupid. Yeah. Because you figure, well, he's Well, it's one of those stupid moves. Have you ever seen a monkey fall out of a tree? No. (laughs) But you know what? This is a trope that annoys me about a lot of action movies. Where the villain dies accidentally to avoid having blood in the hands of the hero. Exactly. So, Aldo dies. Caesar comes to realize, because McDonald's cousin says, that's very human of you. Mm-hmm. Murdering each other And Caesar says Maybe you're right Maybe it is time That we live as equals Right And there's a great hope That yes The world is going to go on For a better place Except that this one Didn't make as much money well, Yeah because it was A bad movie Because it was a bad movie So there was no more movies But There was a TV show There was a TV show Planet of the Apes Where we had two astronauts Yes Because of course One astronaut was cool But two astronauts Would be even cooler they had one that was blonde and one that was yeah. dark here to appeal to the female demographics. Yeah. It lasted 14 episodes. Yeah, one season. It didn't last long. And Roddy McDowell came by again playing Galen. Because it wasn't that good. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And it's... Huh. 
John Drew, who does the Chronic Rift, yep. recently did a Planet of the Apes roundtable. I think he had it best where he said that there was a repetitiveness to this show. Yeah, this had the same problem as the Planet of the Apes Saturday morning animated yeah. TV series. Because, yes, folks, there was a Planet because of the Apes. after this failed, they tried it again with animation. Right, and in both the animated and in the live action, you can truly say that if you've seen one episode, you've seen them all, literally. I cannot remember anything distinguishing about the TV show. Yeah. I believe the character of Ursus was taken... Uh, Urko. Urko, that's what it was, yeah. Urko was the villain played by Mark Leonard. There was a character called Zaius who wasn't Dr. Zaius. Dr. Zaius, But was supposed to be kind of, sort of like Dr. Zaius. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Galen was the Roddy McDowell character. It was kind of like the monkey hero. It should also be mentioned, and I know that people have a hard time realizing this, but the whole apes was really a phenomenon at the time. Marvel had a very long-running black-and-white Planet of the Apes magazine. That was back in the day. Some of you old timers will remember right. that when Marvel had a whole line of black and white yep. comic books. They had the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. That Vampire sa- Tales. Had Monsters Savage, Unleashed. Savage, Savage or the Conan. Savage Tales. Savage Tales with Kazar. And they had the Planet of the Apes, which I think actually... And had- Doc Savage. Don't forget they did Doc Savage by the way. Yes, they did. They did Doc Savage, which has recently been reprinted mm-hmm. as part of DC's outstanding black and white showcase. Yes. Thing where you which is like, probably the only thing I will buy from DC anymore. Which gives you this whole big honking. Yeah. You get a phone book size. Well, what the size of the phone book used to be. Yeah. But you get like all of this. But in the Doc Savage one, you get, yeah, the entire black and white run mm-hmm. in one package. If I'm wrong, somebody let me know. But I do believe Planet of the Apes actually outlasted all the other black and white books. That's yeah, how long it ran. I'm not sure about that. Either that or Conan. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. No, was Conan it. was the longest running one. Oh, okay, Conan yeah. lasted well into the 80s. Okay, cool. Well then, I know it was either one of them. It was either the Apes yeah. or Conan lasted the longest. If you're curious about this series, besides there being a DVD set out there, mm-hmm. although I think it's out of print, there is a way to see them because mm-hmm. apparently 20th Century Fox took the 13 episodes and cut them into five telemovies for mm-hmm. ABC when ABC bought the package. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because they brought Roddy McDowell back for a framing sequence where he mm-hmm. plays an elderly Galen. I remember, yeah. I recounting remember. his adventures with these two numb nuts. And occasionally you'll even see them pop up on yeah. the Siffy channel, as you call yes. it. And I'm willing to bet, and you guys should keep the eye on your TV schedule, yeah. because I'm willing to bet that with the new Apes movie that's coming out, yeah. Sci-Fi Challenge we'll run them again. is either going to run the movies or they're going to have a day where they're going to show TV series. And since this didn't work, they tried it one more time with Return to the Planet of the Apes. This mm-hmm. was an animated Saturday morning cartoon series that ran during 1975. With very limited animation. Very, very, very poor animation. More astronauts coming to the Planet of the Apes and being chased around. The unique thing about the cartoons is that the first time we had apes riding around in cars. Yeah. That's the main thing I remember about it. There was a lot of riding back and forth in Jeeps. And then, of course, we had the Tim Burton remake. Yes. That comes in 2001, and that was not very successful. Let me tell you the main problem I had with this movie and how I knew this movie was going to be a flop. In the original Planet of the Apes, what was the main thing? The main thing was that humans couldn't talk. 
And right. Taylor was the only one that could talk. That's why he was such a danger to mm -hmm. the ape civilization. In Tim Burton's remake, well, all the humans can talk. So then, if all the humans can talk, then there's nothing that makes Taylor special. Keep in mind that this was a project that was in development hell for 12 years. Right. Originally, and thank God we dodged this bullet, was originally developed by Adam Rifkin, best known for The Dark Backwards. Yeah. I think there was also a, a movement in the early 90s to have Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, that I remember. I remember mm -hmm. for the longest time that they said that Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. was going to start in the remake, which of course... We which was going to be directed by Philip Noyce. Philip Noyce, which of course we would have gotten the act. But even that would have been better because Tim Burton is not an action director. Yeah. And Batman, as I've said before, as much as I love Batman, yeah. it's got terrible action sequences. Mm -hmm. It really does because Tim Burton, is, he's a fantastic director, but he's just not an action director. That's yeah. all. And in Planet of the Apes, none of the action scenes make any sense at all, in any kind of sense of the word. Mm -hmm. You have scenes of Mark Wahlberg repeatedly being punched and kicked in the chest by these apes and yeah. knocked 50 feet backwards and he gets up without a scratch. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a lot of belief I will suspend in an action right. movie, but I can't suspend my belief. This was the movie, me and Patricia are usually the most courteous of moviegoers because we believe we're going to the movie to see the movie. We went to see this in Florida. Right. This is the only movie theater that we almost got kicked out of. Uh -oh. because, yeah, because we were up there making such fun of the movie. You can't help it. There yeah. is nothing redeeming about this movie at all. Once again, Helena Bonham Carter gets one of her freaky roles where she plays one of the eight. She's kind of sort of playing Zero. Yeah, sort of. Although she's called Ari in this one, if I remember. I yeah. don't even remember. Michael Clark Duncan, mm -hmm. he's, of course, the gorilla. Of course, yeah. the brother got to play the gorilla. <laughs> right. oh. Although the villain is a chimpanzee in this one. I believe so. He's aid, played uh, by Tim Roth. Tim Roth, yeah. He's probably my favorite mm -hmm. actor in the whole but. Again, he's Tim Roth. Yeah. So, yeah, there is absolutely nothing redeeming about this movie at all. It's just horrible. And they horrible. were so hopeful for a franchise. Because oh, yeah. that whole ending was designed to just open up for a second film. Because doesn't Mark Wahlberg think he's coming back to his original Wal time? Oh, yeah. He crash lands in Washington, D.C., thinks he's in his own time. He's being chased through Washington. Ends up in the Lincoln Monument and then discovers that Lincoln has a monkey head. Yeah, okay. And then the cops pull yeah. up and they get out and he sees that they're gorillas. Supposedly, yeah. the original intention for the, what would have been the sequel was that Thade got there first and manipulated the timelines in such a way that the ape civilization rose up a lot earlier. A lot earlier, I got you. But we'll never know because that film kind of roasted like a turkey. Yes, it did. And deservedly so. And we didn't have any talk of apes for a while, until recently, when a British director came up with Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Rupert Wyatt is the guy's name. Never heard of him. What's he done before? He directed The Escapist in 2008. Oh, that's a good movie. Have you ever seen it? I have not seen it. It's a good movie. Okay, I've so I'll take it. your word for it. On this recording date, we have not seen the film. It has not come out yet. You know, by the time I that, have already stated I'm not going to go see it. By the time this airs, yeah. it'll be out, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm going to go see it. For one yes. thing, I got no choice, folks. Because, <laughs> no, you know why? Because Patricia is a huge Planet of the Apes fan. Right. And I forget what we went to see, but I think it was Green Lantern. And they had the trailer for this. She stood up 
waving her arms above her head yeah. and screaming, I gotta see this, I gotta see this. And that's her birthday. Comes out. Ah, oh, okay. It's her birthday. So, yeah, so we're gonna go see the apes. <laughs> okay. Now, the, the reason I'm not gonna go, so there are two reasons. One is I've already okay. mentioned it before on Better in the Dark, and I've seen now the trailer three times in front of various movies. I think the CGI just looks piss poor, and I can't accept this new Caesar as a character okay. because he looks like a bad collection of computer sprites. Okay. My other problem is, and you've, you've heard me refer to it earlier in this episode, is Action Ape. What's the last film I referred to as Action Blank? What was that? The 2009 Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to me that all the things, once again, that I've taken away mm. from rewatching these five films again. I'm not talking about this sixth film. Yeah. Sorry, we like you, Tim, even though you're going like in front of the director's court. Tim, but, yeah, but no. Yeah, yeah. Much has Star Trek 2009 took everything that I learned to respect about the Star Trek franchise mm-hmm. and removed it and replaced it with just big, dumb, shouty 2009 style action. The fear that I'm getting from watching these trailers mm-hmm. is that they have taken all the social commentary, all the satire, all the stuff that I really enjoyed about these five films and removed it and left only an action film about a bunch of apes getting smart and beating up on humans. Well, that's the thing that I always tell people, and it started in the 80s with Arnold Schwarzenegger right. movies like The Running Man mm-hmm. and Total Recall, which people say, oh, it is science fiction movies. I say, no, they're not. They're action movies in science fiction yeah. drag. The original set of eight movies actually were science fiction movies in that they dealt with themes oh. and concepts yeah. relevant to us, but put it in another setting, which back then, believe it or not, both which was how most writers dealt with the Vietnam War and abortion issue and race relations and everything. They didn't write about it directly. They wrote a science fiction story. Many of these films also work as action movies. I really don't see that. Okay, I see like Conquest. Okay. Conquest has an action element to it. They have some action, but okay. they're not... Again, I go back to right. Total Recall okay. or, or some of the other movies, especially during the 80s. That's when science fiction movies stopped being science yeah. fiction, and they became punchy-punchy, run-run right. action yeah. movies in science fiction drag. But then that's I mean, it is possible to have action and science fiction side-by-side. Side. Oh, sure it is. Look at District 9. Absolutely. Or District 13. Yes. Where you had the guys running around doing parkour and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm not objecting to there being action in oh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, neither My am I. worry is that that's all that they're giving us. Is well, it? sure it is. The science fiction is an excuse to have hundreds and hundreds of CGI monkeys jumping up and down on human heads. Because you know what people are going to want to go see this for? And you see a little bit of it in the trailer. They're going to want to go see when the apes go ape shit. I'm telling you, that's what everybody's going to go see this movie for. They want to see this. I know one person is not going to go. Well, besides you. Oh, who else? That woman that had the chimpanzee for a pet. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. Or is that too soon to make that uh. joke? <laughs> is it still too soon to make that joke? <laughs> oh. Ask her how she feels about Planet of the Apes. <laughs> so, in conclusion, my friend, what is your summary of... Keep in mind, I had not seen these films in 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really surprised at how entertaining I found them, even after all this time. And how they didn't date very much. Even though they're set in very concrete times, 
They're not dated in the way that I'm afraid that the rise of the planet from the Planet of the Apes is going to date. Mm-hmm. That a lot of science fiction from the modern day is going to date. The fact that the new IDW comic book series is based not on the new continuity, but on the original continuity. And they're proud of it. They should be, because the original continuity holds up very well, yeah. as you said before. I recommend these movies heartily to anybody. As I've said before, and i say again, if you call yourself a movie fan, if you call yourself a science fiction fan then these movies are essential viewing. The last one, not so much for me, but then again, if you sat through the first four, yeah. then why might not go ahead well, and say, yeah. you might as well see the last one. Tell me what the hell. Yes. Yeah, all five of them as a set, because this is one of the most consistent movie series of all time, in that there's a definite continuity. You can pretty much follow everything. It's never confusing, yeah. even with the going back and forth in time. Mm-hmm. You're never confused as to what's going on. No, absolutely yeah. not. But, Tim Brown, we love you, Tim, but no. Yeah, forget no. they don't bother with that. Don't bother with the TV series. Unless, of course, if it comes on the science fiction channel and you don't have anything else to do that day. Siffy, the television network named after a venereal disease. Oh, my God. They were showing James Bond movies the other day. What is James Bond? The ironic thing, of course, is you remember when we first started this, when we were doing this for Sci-Fi Fan Radio? Yeah. And we asked if we could do James Bond. Remember what we were told? What? James Bond is in science fiction. It's in science fiction, right, yeah. That's the reason why Siffy is named Siffy now. It's named after venereal disease because they wanted to move away from the perception that they're only for sci-fi nerds. Right, which is why they've got the wrestling. It's a ratings getter, too. Mm -hmm. They're shoving more and more reality programming down our throat, Mm -hmm. I noticed. It's gotten to the point, I don't even remember the last time I even watched a sci-fi channel. And I used to watch it. Did I watch Eureka? No, actually, I watch Eureka on mm-hmm. Netflix now. My mom buys the box set. But there's nothing on that network for me anyway. You nah, I don't have cable. People say, oh, you don't watch Warehouse 13. I say, oh, you mean Friday the 13th, the remake. Yeah. It's a remake of the old Friday the 13th TV show. These costumes we used to give David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. Yeah. That, they stopped showing Doctor Who because yeah. it was too expensive for them. Mm-hmm. But I watched that on BBC America anyway, right. so I don't care. There's nothing on there. Yeah. me anymore. Yeah. So I guess it's time for the administrative. And what's this new one? Uh, Alphas. Oh, you mean Heroes 2? I was actually going to call it the Y-Men. Yeah, as in, why are they doing this show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now it's time for the administrative. That's right. Okay. So whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to say that you kind of found Hello Bonacar dressed up as a monkey kind of hot... <laughs> There's a number of ways that you can reach okay. us. Okay. You can send us an email at better in the dark at earth2.net. That's better in the dark at earth-2.net. We encourage you to join the message board at better in the dark.proboards.com and also to join the Facebook fan group. We've had a lot of people joining lately. Yeah, yeah. And just go to Facebook, look up Better in the Dark, and ask us if you can come and join in the fun. You can follow Derek and I on Facebook. Facebook individually. We use our own names because we want you to find us. We're not hard to find. Both Derek and I maintain blogs that are kind of of interest to people who like Better in the Dark. Derek's 10 statements. Damn your ears, damn your eyes. Damn your ears, damn your eyes. 10 statements about... Yes, the home of the famous Ten Statements About series, which was there long before, I'm sure, Bleeding mm. Cool decided yeah. to do something similar. But I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. And you, of course, maintain the Ferguson the Theater. The Ferguson Theater, yep. 
also, we invite you to go to Pulpworks Press. Yep. Check out all the new pulpy goodness, including uh, maybe order your copies of the two volumes of How the West Was Weird, which contains stories by both of us. What else am I missing? By the time that this comes out, Strange Gods of the Dire Planet by Joel oh, Jenkins yes. will be available for sale. So you just go to the Pulpworks Press site and mm-hmm. you can order your copy there, as well as the previous books in the Dire Planet series. Right. Also, of course, we invite you to go to Mm alteredvisions.org, where by the time you hear this, providing that Doug gets them posted in time, Infected starts. If you're a fan of the Avengers or fan fiction... Or, or for that matter, Buckaroo Banzai. Or you, yeah. <laughs> or you might want to check that out. We do invite you to check out these things because they are good. And uh, until next time, remember, yeah. podcasts must never kill podcasts. <laughs> That's a good one. Yes. <laughs> and, and remember, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter where you are, go, go see, see that, that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. <laughs> that one's for you, Shag. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks are to Rick Croxton of Future Four Color, Mike and Paul of Chinstroker vs. Hunter, Brian Higgins of Hammockus, Eric Froman, of course, all the lovely members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark doesn't kill its enemies. It gets its enemies to kill each other. Once, of course, it perfects the whole ping psychic power thing. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs. Two, better in the dark at earth2.net. That's better in the dark at earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.b-dot.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that ape should never kill ape. Ape can kill people in ill-fitting ape masks, however. In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star, and one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead.